What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Extra Point College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Carnes, joined as always by my co-host, Daniel Hammock. Daniel, we're back together for this one. Thanks for holding down the fort. Uh, while I was away, we've got some games to react to. Week four delivered on all counts. <laughs> uh, definitely the best week of the season so far as far as just amount of good games going on. Um, we're going to highlight the ones we picked, plus a couple more that made the day exciting. Let's not waste any time. At noon, Florida State and Clemson kicked off of what was one of the most anticipated matchups heading into the season. Of course, Clemson taking a loss prior to this game made it a little less like as exciting, um, but the game delivered one and a half point line. We both took Florida State and Florida State inks it out in overtime. I mean, Dino, give me your thoughts on uh, Florida State's win in Death Valley. Yeah, this one, I mean, so it snaps that was it seven game losing streak for Florida State versus Clemson. Um, I think it, coming into it, you and I were both very similar in that. It feels like the perfect spot for Clemson to really bow their chest and really come after Florida State. But we both, I mean, Florida State's just far better team. And from what we've watched so far this year, Florida State's, you know, should should handle them much more, you know, veteran team, more, more guys who've played uh, some serious ball and they've played in big spots uh, without cohesion, coaching, all that stuff. Um and it kind of played out similar to both of those. Uh, you know, Clemson, I mean, came out swinging and played a great game um, as far as just their game plan. They were hanging with them, hanging with Florida State. Uh, they had the lead at halftime. And then, you know, come down to it, it it's Florida State had to come back to make it a game, to tie it, and then – you know, it's funny looking that they both did not score in the fourth quarter because it seemed like Clemson did from how they dominated with, you know, getting the ball down the field. And then they get kind of settle for a field goal with their, you know, uh, walk-on kicker and then miss it. So in that touchdown to Keon Coleman in the, um, in the overtime, I mean – it was a reminder of a couple of things. It was a reminder that Florida State's never going to be out of it. They're always going to have a puncher's chance with those receivers and that quarterback. And then, I mean, Keon Coleman. I, I saw Matt Miller, who's uh, the draft scout on on Twitter. He said uh, Keon Coleman's his number two receiver um, going into the draft this year. So I think that you know you got a you've got a collection of guys that can win this kind of game adversity against, you know, a talented team, even though they're not, you know, the same Clemson Tigers we've been used to the past, you know, seven, eight years. I think, I think this, this bodes well for, this is, I mean, all roads now for Florida state lead to the ACC championship. I don't think there's any roadblocks in their way at this point. They have now passed everything they need. Jacob, you are on mute. I told, I, t- 
I told you this uh, yesterday, and that's Florida State. I thought played like a C plus game, mm. and they took Clemson's kind of A punch and beat them. And we said going into the season that this will be a fun matchup, and that this is like new school versus old school. Florida State has, to this point, like exclusively used the portal to like get back to relevance. Clemson has refused to use the portal. Well, I mean, through four weeks of the season, Florida State has unseated Clemson as the best program in the ACC, best team in the ACC. So, hey, would uh, would Clemson have been better yesterday with the Keon Coleman on the roster? I certainly think so. They uh, absolutely. They couldn't pass the ball very well still. Um thought Clemson had played fine. I thought that Clemson's defense played a really good game. Clemson played aggressive. They went for it in a lot of fourth downs until it mattered. And then on the third down play, you know, towards the end of regulation, instead of having a good play, they played for fourth down. They played for a field goal with their walk-on kicker that joined the team on Tuesday. Uh, didn't think that was the best move, but Florida State stays undefeated. I'll be honest, Daniel, I had Florida State at 10-2 on the season, and in my head, the two most losable games, I thought, I thought they'd be 2-2 two and two coming out of September. So there are two games ahead of schedule in my book. Um, thought they might come out 2-2 two and two and still win the conference. So they're not 4-0 and and well on their way to an ACC championship. All right, let's get this one over with. Um, if there are children around, <laughs> you might want to uh, change the podcast, change it to a different channel. There is mature audiences only. Put the earmuffs on or something. Yeah. yeah. Eugene, very dangerous. Uh, mature audiences only here. 0.35 EPA per play, a 55% success rate. Just over seven yards of play. That was closer to 10 uh, early in the third quarter when all the starters got pulled. I mean, <clears throat> a 10% explosive play rate, 42 to 6. It was 42 to nothing early in the third quarter before landing called the dogs off. 35 nothing at halftime. Look. Colorado has already won three games. That triples their win total from last season. Can we now stop talking about Colorado like they're a top 25 team, like they're a playoff contender, like Shooter Sanders is a Heisman contender? We can stop all that now and appreciate Dion for what he's done, for what he will continue to do. I don't think they're done winning football games this year, but they're not a top 25 team. And so for Oregon, big win. But I'm also not going to pretend like this win for Oregon was a dominant win over a good program. This was a dominant win over like a top 70 team. This is what a top 10 team should do to a top 70 team. So great job. Dominant win for Oregon. And Bo Nix, I still think looks like a really good Heisman contender there, Daniel. I'm feeling good about my pick for Bo Nix uh, with the Heisman. Uh, definitely some help from Troy Franklin, eight catches, 126 yards, two touchdowns. Um, but everybody had a big day for Oregon. 
And yeah, this is, I mean, you said it going in, this was going to be big line of scrimmage game. Uh, I took Oregon with the 20 and a half points because I'm trying to believe, but by the end of the week, I really didn't feel great about my pick. Um, even with those 20 and a half, Oregon proved that to be correct because they were, they were just ready to go. There, this is evidence of a well-coached team and a team that takes pride in their defense. Um, Colorado didn't score until there was like two minutes left in the game. Um, so that was, you know, more for, you know, pride. And that's, that's good, you know, good that they were able to mount that, um, you know, even at the end of the game, uh, I agree with you on everything. I think, you know, Dion is going to have this thing continued. I mean, he's already turned it around, but he's going to continue to build. Uh, so this is unfortunately for Colorado. Pac-12 best upper middle class in all of college football, maybe the best conference in college football right now. Yeah. And they've got quite the schedule because um, they've got to play these teams. These first few weeks, they've been able to avoid them. And now they're going to play them. So they got Oregon next week. They got USC. So we're going to continue to see that. Uh, whether they have Travis Hunter or not, he's a phenomenal player. It's just not going to be there for them this season. Daniel, they've got a three and one. They've got USC, Arizona State, Stanford, UCLA, Oregon State, Arizona, Washington State. Utah. How many more games do they win? I think that they could beat Stanford. Um, depend upon Travis Hunter's health, I think gives them a shot. Maybe Arizona State. I don't know. You know, it's I, tough. Yeah. Arizona State and Stanford seem like wins. I think Arizona is are... the tough game. I think. Yeah. The other ones are losses to me. Yeah, USC, Utah, Washington State with what Washington State looked like Saturday against Oregon State. I mean, I definitely feel, you know, strongly that they're all going to be similar to this against Oregon. Um, They may be able to score against USC. (laughs) So there's that. Um, Oregon, a much better defensive product than what USC is going to be trotting out. But yeah, I think two more wins uh, if they, you know, they really shock the world with three more wins and go to a bowl game. I think that'd be a phenomenal year for the Buffs. Absolutely. I think a bowl game is I mean, would be unbelievable (laughs) for this team. Uh, Let's stay in the Pac-12. Let's go with the ugly one first. UCLA 7, Utah 14. Um, I should have taken Utah. Utah at home, I think you just, is an auto pick. That was bad on my part. This game was disgusting. Uh, <laughs> dude, it was gross. Like, and this also, like, had the marks of a Big Ten game. So UCLA is going to fit right in next year. Uh, dude, 14 7, but seven of Utah's points for the first play of the game was a pick six. So, to be fair, taking points in this game wasn't a bad idea. But who was favored? Was Utah favored? 
Utah's favored by four and a half. Okay, that's what I thought. So you yeah, took points. Was a yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't feel that bad about that. But I mean, again, Utah at home is an auto bet. Um, I need to remind myself that <laughs> next time we have a Utah game. But ugh, ugly. Utah needs Cam Rising back quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, but that being said, with them not having him, still being able to ink out by just being a physical team. Both these teams are physical, no. and I think that's what led to such a slugfest rock fight, if you will, back and forth. Um, so really liked what – I mean, if you're a fan of tackling, this is a good game for tackling. So <laughs> it was a very good well-tackled – you know, if you're drafting <laughs> defensive players in the NFL, you're watching this game and seeing how these guys are – Taking, taking each other to the ground. Another Pac-12 game. I didn't see this one coming, Daniel. Washington State 38, Oregon State 35. Uh, Oregon State kind of came back towards the end. I believe the score was... It was 35 to... Or 38-35, so... I'm saying late, though. It was 35-14 in the third quarter. Late in the third yeah. quarter. So yeah. like Oregon State came back. Washington State kind of dominated them there for a little bit. Um, but impressed by the comeback. I mean, impressed by both these teams. But Washington State, I think, is one of the under-talked-about surprises of this season so far. Cam Ward looks good. The defense looks good. This looks like a pretty complete football team. And I think this win against Oregon State proves that. Yeah, uh, Kim Ward, one of those guys that he transferred in last year, you know, from Incarnate Word, and we're all, you know, we'll see how he does at this level, but he had done so well at that lower level. Um, but he's definitely rising to the occasion. I think we probably should have taken a little more notice going into this year, a second year in Power 5 football, because um, he definitely looks like he's taken another step in maturity, another step in just, I mean, productivity. 28 to 34, 400 yards and four touchdowns against the Oregon State team that, you know, is a solid opponent. They're not just beating anybody here. So uh, I think this is a big win for Washington State uh, going forward because I think Oregon State's going to end up being a still a pretty good team down the stretch. Um, so it was upset from from our perspective, but Washington State, they're going to – maybe they end up in the top 15, um, you know, this season and finish this thing out strong. They're one of the last – I mean, this was the Pac-2. This was the game between the Pac last two championships. standing in the Pac-12, in the uh, the Pac which is now going to be just them two. So um, they're going to do all they can to wave that – what is it, Old Crimson, that flag? Old Crimson. Mm-hmm. Wave it for that Pac-12 championship maybe in the last year of its existence. Who knows? Washington State has a bye this week. They go to UCLA the week following, and they got Arizona, Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. They got Washington to end the year, obviously, in the Apple Cup. So, How fun is that one going to be? That's going to be a lot of fun. If Washington fun. can, Washington State can kind of, you know, just tread water for their schedule and keep it relevant, that last game is going to be big time. They've got one of the more manageable schedules in the Pac-12. I mean, UCLA, you got UCLA, Oregon, and Washington from what we said those like those top six schools. Already beat Oregon State. Dude, then you got Arizona, Arizona State, Stanford, and Colorado. So that that's a pretty manageable schedule. Could we be looking at like a dark horse like 
Pac-12 championship contender. That would be awesome in this last year, the Pac-12, if they want it. Um, yeah. We will see. They'll get their opportunity. Daniel, let's go to the Big Ten. Uh, biggest game of the day, Notre Dame, Ohio State. Ohio State scores in the final play of the game to win 17-14. to 14. Huge win. I, I, just, I, I honestly, Daniel, I walk away impressed with both teams. Um, I thought, we've, we've seen this a lot so far this year. I don't know if offenses just are down across the board in college football or if more teams have just watched Georgia the last two years and put a lot of focus on their defense, but I think two years ago, this this would have been a game that you expected to be like 42 to 38. And you got some smash mouth football last night. Two very physical football teams. Um, honestly, two quarterbacks who I think are not as talented as like, I mean, obviously as a CJ Stroud last year, <laughs> like you don't have anybody stretching the field, throwing it outside the numbers. You had two guys who played within the system in a good way. Um, were pretty efficient on the night. Notre Dame played like five running backs consistently throughout the game. Ohio State played like three or four. And in the end, when it mattered, Kyle McCord, ice in his veins, man, drove him down the field. And Ohio State, even with a running clock, knew like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna pound it in on this last play. And last two plays of the goal to go, Notre Dame had 10 guys in the field. So uh didn't love the excuse either, saying they didn't want to take the penalty with sending sending a guy out. I'm like What's the difference in the one-yard line, the half-yard line? Not a lot. I think you take that penalty and make sure you have 11 guys in the field to stop it. <laughs> Especially considering the time on the clock. You're not worried right. about the down. You're worried about the time. So, um, yeah, that's kind of a weak excuse. Yeah, you're right. This this game, uh, tremendous game. It was very defensive. Uh, you know, played basically in a phone booth. They just both uh pounding each other between the hash marks um i think you know you look at the they played each other last year right it was like what 21 to 10 something like that yeah it was also lower so scoring. It, was, it was lower scoring ohio state kind of pulled away at the end obviously you know much more high flying on offense uh last year so far uh for ohio state i think sam hartman to a certain extent you know i it was no question in my mind he was a better quarterback in this game, uh, but they just don't have just guys out out wide like you mentioned. They weren't throwing outside. If he had them, I think that they win this game. You know, if he had a guy or two, because I think Sam Hartman is that guy. Um, Kyle McCord still figuring things out. I think Ohio State was content to just, you know, hang in this game and kind of keep it close and win. Notre Dame did some things defensively that made them struggle for most of the game. But, um, yeah, I mean, they held Marvin Harrison in check, you know, three catches, 32 yards. He's the one that NFL draft scout uh, Matt Miller has as the number one receiver next year in the draft. But, I mean, pick a receiver at Ohio State is probably one of them. Mecca Buka had a big game. Yeah, this one, it made – this these types of games are important, but they may be big later when we talk about the committee and what they're seeing because Notre Dame might win out if they go eleven and one. Where does that leave Ohio State? Where does that leave Notre Dame? So these are important games all down the stretch. And uh, yeah, what a what a finish! That was wild one. Absolutely, that was a wild finish. And I mean, 
perfect ending to a game like that. You love it coming down to the final play. Um, love a game like that. Let's stay in the Big Ten. Another TVMA game. This one not as close. I thought 14.5 points seemed a little crazy just because I thought, you know, Iowa could muck this game up. And, I mean, heck, a 14 nothing win seemed like it was in the cards uh, for Penn State, like a dominant 14 to nothing win or a 17 to three. And that half point mattered, but 31 nothing. Uh, Iowa is just as bad on offense as we thought they could be. Um, it, it's a joke at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I, I thought you made, I'll, I'll let you talk about your analogy. I think we, we talked earlier about this, uh, your analogy with Ferentz and uh, coordinators and quarterbacks and kind of their, their mesh. But one, Penn State is for real. Um, I picked Penn State preseason to go to the playoff. I feel very good about that right now. I think through four games, they have looked like a more complete team than Michigan has. And Penn State's played tougher competition. I'm sure Michigan's playing with their food a little bit. Michigan's very physical, but Penn State's defense is legit at all three levels. Drew Alar is an elite quarterback. Mm-hmm. These young receivers are stepping up. Again, I think they have the best tailback tandem in the country. I think by year's end, that you know that can come into fruition. If they're not the best. They're in the top three, and the top three are probably on the Big Ten, <laughs> um, and probably all three in the Big Ten East. Mm-hmm. Uh, Penn State's for real. This Iowa defense is good. They scored thirty-one points. I'm sure they were not helped by the fact that Iowa's offense was having three and outs every time. And anyway, Penn State is for real. We talk about winners first, but Iowa, man, this is it's bad. Yeah, Iowa, I mean, you know, there's the joke, the ongoing joke about what the, you know, what the average um, points per game are going to be. Is it going to be 25? Is it going to be more than that? Uh, this zero certainly doesn't help Brian Ferentz's, uh case at the end of the year. But, you know, Jacob, I, I think that you and I both were similar in that we were going to kind of hold out until we saw Cade McNamara, who we know – that he can be a successful college quarterback. We've seen it at Michigan, surrounded by, you know, talent and and good play calling. But that being said, I mean, he was efficient. He took care of the ball. Watching him at Iowa, it starts to make you think. I, what I had mentioned to you previously was that with these coordinators, you never see, like, you know, the best coordinator in the world you know they they can they can't do something with the worst quarterback in the world necessarily. They may be able to make them slightly below average or something, but uh, they could take an average quarterback and make him really great quarterback. Uh, and then on the flip side of that, you have the greatest quarterback in college with you know maybe the worst play caller. They they can't bring them up and make them you know uh, an above average play caller because uh, they they it's a really symbiotic relationship. So. That being said, I mean, I think all things considered, Cade McNamara is a slightly above average college quarterback. So I think he's a good, competent starter. And he has just not been good this year. And I think you can just – everything can be pointed at Brian Ferentz in this offense. It's just – it's something that it almost angers you from the outside looking in because we saw this past couple years – They've had some decent players, but nobody 
phenomenal necessarily. And we wanted to blame the players because, you know, that's kind of what we were led to do. And they said, no, the coaching is not the problem. We're going to keep, we're going to keep Brian on. And we see in this year and it's like, okay, well, we know what we saw with Cade McNamara at Michigan. He got beat out by just an elite, you know, talent. He didn't get beat out because he played bad. He could, he could have stayed there and Michigan could have done exactly what they did last year, you know? Um, So all that to be said, Iowa, they're going to, I think that they will move on from Brian Ferentz this year and maybe Kirk Ferentz as well. You know, maybe it's got to be a package deal and they, you know, just, just start from scratch because Iowa, especially with the big 10 assimilating to one giant, you know, conference rather than having a big 10 West anymore, they're, they're, they're going to be one of the ones that, take it on the chin the most by not having the West to win anymore. They're going to be kind of lost in the shuffle if they keep doing this with their offense, but I definitely don't want to take anything away from Penn state. I'm actually more impressed with Penn state, how they handled this game going forward. This is one of the best wins in the big 10 so far. So, um, you know, they may be even better than we thought. And you, you've already, you were on the, on the bandwagon from the beginning saying they're going to be a pretty good team. So, um, Playoff contender. I think the Bud Elliott has the best graphic out there for the, you know, the, the drive to 325 for <laughs> to save Ryan Ferentz's job. Cause he just didn't do like the 25 points for a game. Yes or no. He did it based on the power rating of each team and how many points they should score. So like Utah state, He's like, to get to an average of 25 points per game, they needed to score 42 in that game. Like, they scored 24. So you're, you know, what is that? Uh, 14 points off? Yeah. Yeah. Iowa State was 20. They scored exactly 20. Western Michigan was was 45. They scored 41. So even that's missing the mark, like, by four points. Penn State, they needed 13. That's it, Daniel. They needed 13 points to kind of meet their mark to average 25 points per game. They got nothing. Um, next week against Michigan State, it's 24. Can they score 24 against this Michigan State team? They better. <laughs> uh, it's just crazy. Last year, they averaged 17.4 uh, points per game. Offense only averaged 14.9 points per game last year. It's time. This is nepotism at the uh, highest level. <laughs> it's time. Uh Let's go to the SEC. Alabama hosted Ole Miss. They do what they do against Ole Miss, which is win and cover, <laughs> especially against Lane. Uh, early, I really thought Ole Miss had a chance to not only cover, but win. Um, I took Ole Miss plus the point just because I'm like, are they going to run some design runs for Jalen Milrow? Is this Alabama team going to find its identity? I think they found a little more of their identity on Saturday. I thought they did mm-hmm. a really good job running the ball. They had a 43% success rate in offense, which was important. Jalen Milrow looked very comfortable with the offense. He, of all three quarterbacks we've seen, he's definitely looked the most comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think he was Saban's call. He, I think he's just Saban wanted. And I think Saban let them mess around with the other guys against USF to kind of prove a point. Um, but, Big win. I, I think Ole Miss played this game as if they only needed seven points to win for the entire game. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bama found a way to win, found a way to pull away, and 
kind of dominated, especially in the second half, kind of worsened the score. But um, big win for Alabama. And again, they still have every goal ahead of them. So if they can find that identity and get rolling, like nothing's off the table for Alabama. Yeah, you said it. I mean, Jalen Milrow, I, I kind of suspected this when they decided to go back to him that, okay, they know that they don't have a plan B now. I think that was the biggest cloud hanging over Alabama was what about these other guys? And I think that it may have been the best thing to serve them to just play USF. They know that they can mess around and they played the other guys and neither one looked any sort of good against the well overmatched opponent. And so it's like, okay, well y'all had your chance to take hold of it. We already had all these practices. So now it's like, just design the offense for Jalen Milrow because if he gets hurt or he doesn't pan, you know, basically if he gets hurt, you're going to be screwed with whoever your quarterback is at that point. Um, so just double down and and use him for, you know, his abilities. I mean, he's a, a great runner. And then I think that, you know, you take your shots in the, in the pass game and then highlight your running backs, you know, Jason McClellan had a great game. And so, just, you know, focus on that. And defensively, I think it'll be good complimentary ball for them because after that drive where Jackson Dart had the 10-yard touchdown run, I remember thinking, okay, this be a long game maybe for Alabama. It just wasn't. They just kept being able to tackle in space, create negative plays for Ole Miss. Um, so, you know, I think we're going to be – I think – we're going to see Alabama in the same light that we've seen Alabama towards the end of the season, just maybe more of a throwback to like 2015, 2016 offense wise. And they'll just have to be fine with that. You know, it won't be this light them up outside, you know, down the stretch, it'll be more conservative approach, but I think Alabama fans are happy after seeing this game. What they need more of is what they did, which is if you take out sacks and sack yardage, Milrow had 12 carries for 71 yards. You need you need more of that. Like, his legs are elite, designed him runs. You can win 11 games with him running the ball. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, offensive line play better. So everything ahead still for Alabama. Uh, last game, Daniel, LSU and Arkansas. This in, this ended up being kind of a banger uh, that went kind of under the radar because it had that 7 p.m. start, so it wasn't really in that exact 7.30 window as all the other games were. Um, but, I mean, th- this was a really, really good game. 34-31 LSU over Arkansas. I feel like you got more eyes on this than I did, Daniel. Uh, give me your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I mean, it was Arkansas gets up early. And you really kind of felt like, okay, if Arkansas can kind of keep this momentum, you know, this is a series that's been back and forth. It's not, you know, and Sam Pittman is like the master in this kind of a game. So it just kind of had that feel of one of these classic golden boots. And, um, you know, you saw Jaden Daniels once he hit that like 50-yard touchdown, a 49-yard touchdown to Brian Thomas. Um, you might ask which one, the first one, uh, because he did two of those. But once he hit that first one, you kind of felt like an exhale, like, okay, because that drew them to within three. 
and it seemed like, and that was right before halftime, 30 seconds before halftime, that seemed like, hey, we we can do this. We have been through adversity before. We can handle this. Um, and I think from that point, you kind of saw, like, it was back and forth. Um, K.J. Jefferson, phenomenal player. It's just tough because he's having to kind of overcome not having as much talent as LSU. LSU just has so many guys and go to – Brian Thomas Jr., Malik Neighbors, you know, they just have all these guys on offense that they can go to. Um, but it ended up being a fun one down the stretch. Um, and, you know, obviously 34-31, just a kind of a classic game uh, with, you know, multiple lead changes. Um, and, you know, they tied, you know, what, three times in the second half. So that's always fun is when a game – it's not just like a team playing catch up. It's like they're drawing even. One team takes the lead, drawing even. The other team takes the lead. So this was a fun one to watch. The unfortunate thing was is that it was in that late window when you're trying to catch every single other game. Um, you know, it'd be nice if it was spread out. But this had a lot of the same feel as that. You know, Florida State Clemson game earlier in the day had, where they just kind of both hanging around the whole time. Last question, Daniel, and I didn't uh I didn't prep you for this, so I'm happy to answer first. But if you had two questions right now, who would you rank number one in the country? If you're filling out an AP ballot, you had to put a number one, who are you putting? That's a great question. I I mean, I probably still I probably still would put Georgia. Um, just because I feel like they've been, you know, consistent, uh, or I say consistent, they're just, they're just better. They've been better than each team that they played and they haven't really played their best. Um, but I could definitely hear an argument for Texas. I could definitely hear an argument for Florida state. She, I could hear an argument for Penn state and Iowa state. I feel like it's all. You know, up there at the top, there's not really been, uh, you know, specific. Nobody has felt like they are for sure the number one team just yet. Florida State felt most like it maybe when they beat LSU. That probably felt, okay, they handled them, and we all think LSU's a pretty good team. Yeah, I I think I would go Texas at this point if I was voting on it. I do think that I think in everyone's mind after the quote unquote disrespect Georgia received last offseason, <laughs> uh, being the number three team instead of number one after winning the title. I mean, AP voters historically too have been like, you know, to be the man, you got to beat the man. So until someone beats Georgia, I mean, probably 75% of the people are going to leave them at number one. Mm-hmm. Um, to this point, I'm like, has Georgia looked like the best team in the country? I don't know. But if they haven't, who has consistently just been shown that they are better? Um, I think I'd go Texas. I'll hear an argument from Florida State. You know, they had the stinker against Boston College. Like, you know, Ohio State. I I think I'd go Texas, though, at one right now through four weeks. I think like at four weeks, this is a fun conversation to have now is like we've seen four weeks of football. 
or a third of the way through the season. Um, who's number one right now? I think I'd go Texas. Daniel, if you had to project now, so not what you think right this second, if you had to project, you get a redo on your playoff picks. Are you changing any? I don't even remember who my picks are. No, I'm just kidding. It was Georgia, Georgia, Texas, Florida State, and Ohio State. I still feel good about all four of those. And I feel the same way. Like I'm like, if I had to project, my one I'm nervous about is, uh, so I had Georgia, Texas, Ohio State, and Penn State. I think what I'm nervous about is that Big Ten not getting two in and Florida State getting in instead, in which case... Either you get four or four, or it's Penn State, and I get. We both get three or four. Three or four. So, uh, we'll see. I I feel really good about this so far, though. Um, Washington could also be a party crasher to this point if they stay healthy. Um, but Elliot talked about this. Washington's top level talent can go in the Pac-12. They were one of the healthiest teams in college football last year. They had next to no injuries. So, can they stay healthy? If they can. I mean, they're off to the races. This offense looks... The Washington offense, I think, has been the most impressive unit in college football so far through four weeks. Nobody stopped them. Um, the good thing is, if you say, well, Washington hasn't played anybody, well, good thing, because their schedule is about to get a lot tougher. Um, starting next week, next week they've got... Well, they got Arizona which I do yeah. think will be more of a test. But the week after that, no, they have a bye week and then Oregon. So then Arizona State, Stanford, then they get USC, Utah, Oregon State, Washington State, back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, last four games of the season. So I feel like all these Pac-12 contenders have a brutal last six weeks where they're all going to play each other. So we will get the chance to see it. Be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at the Extra Point Pod. You can follow Daniel on Twitter at the South Daniel. You can follow me on Twitter at Jacob Carnes with a K. That'll do it for this edition of the Extra Point. He is Daniel. I'm Jacob.